You're listening to a curated podcast from the Beyond Infinity radio program broadcast live on Tuesdays from 11am from our Mornington studios in Victoria, Australia. Presented by me, Piers Cunningham. And me, John Young. Now into our science and technology news for the week. A little while ago we reported that the US Army had developed some software, it's kind of VR software, it's very sad that this is even necessary, but it allowed schools and teachers and mm-hmm. even parents to simulate what it might be like if there's a shooter mm-hmm. on the loose in a school. And unfortunately, this has happened all too often. There is quite a movement to try to get some change happening over in America, particularly from young people who've been affected by this. I think with that most recent shooting that they had only two weeks prior to that, they actually had done some training on how, you know, how to hide or get around. So there was some basic guidance. Actually, yeah. yeah, and there's this US Army software that's it's going to be released free so that eventually there'll be a public version of it which anyone can use that's actually to help schools be designed to you know so should they have self-locking doors Mm -hmm. or should they have more cctv cameras i mean it actually simulates like a a, a, what the shooter what he might do how Mm -hmm. he might behave and the best steps that the teachers and students can do to, to save themselves or to sort of mitigate the risk so that's one thing we reported that a little while ago just recently though i came across a story about oklahoma a school there called the hilton public school in Hilton, Oklahoma, they've installed seven bulletproof shelters at their elementary schools and two larger ones in their middle school. These are basically a bulletproof storm shelter that can be put up inside schools. Mm-hmm. In the case of a shooter, up to 40 students and two teachers can go into these shelters. Mm-hmm. They're safe. And I've actually seen a video where one of the guys who is involved with this school and was part of the decision to get these things installed, he goes into one of these shelters and they get out automatic weapons and fire them at the outside of it. Mm-hmm. And he's quite safe inside. He said it was pretty surreal, the experience, yeah. but he was safe. So it was just to, to demonstrate the fact that these are indeed bulletproof. Mm-hmm. But they also say that when they're not being used in that situation, let's hope that they don't have to be. They can also be a safe shelter in the event of a hurricane yep. or an earthquake. Mm-hmm. Um, or even they can provide a quiet space for students to go into yeah, to, right. uh, to have a bit of you know quiet reading time or one-on-one time with a, with a teacher or something like that or, or a little group session with other students mm-hmm. so there are kind of other uses that these have just beyond protecting people in that well hopefully unlikely situation of an, a shooter on a rampage one of the key selling points is that in a crisis whether it's in a, in a tornado situation or an active shooter or an earthquake is that you really do need to act quickly you need to have somewhere quickly to go to you don't have time to the time is amazing to, to think yeah. about anything really so having these shelters inside a school inside a classroom just in a corner of a classroom Mm -hmm. where 40 kids and a couple of teachers can go lock the door from the inside it's impenetrable there's a camera on the outside that allows them to see what's going on by having them in situ it just means you've got the ability to get somewhere safe quickly yeah it's a sign of the times and a rather terrible and chilling one. The company's called Shelter in Place. You can have a look at the website if you want, shelterinplace.com. Looks like this is a pretty effective way of dealing with these kind of situations. They're very strong. They have interior lighting. They've got interior camera monitors, padded benches to sit on. They're carpeted. They've got backup power and storage under bench seats inside. They are very strong. They've got structural I-beams, tubular studs every 18 inches, very strong, rigid structure, bulletproof exterior, as I mentioned, and uh, can protect the occupants against, uh, uh, I think they're rating it up to a nine and a half 
uh, earthquake on the Richter scale. So that's a very powerful earthquake. I think that's more than the big earthquake in Japan that caused so much damage in the Fukushima area. And there's also reportedly a bunch of patents that are pending as a result of the mm, development of okay. this technology. Yeah, so great. a bit sad for you that this kind of thing is, is necessary. But if the guns aren't going anywhere anytime soon, then uh, other scenarios need to be considered. Uh, I think one of the suggestions was to maybe arm some of the teachers, adept teachers, I think was the uh, quote. Mm. But uh, this kind of thing surely would be a, a much better scenario. Indeed. So shelterinplace.com is the website if you want to read more about that story. Moving on with the news, the German car maker Daimler is set to buy Europe cars 25% in the car sharing service Car2Go for 70 million euros, paving the way for Mercedes and BMW to develop driverless taxis. BMW's Drive Now and Daimler's Car2Go have a strong presence in European cities and in American cities, but the introduction of self-driving cars could spur a big expansion into autonomous taxi services. Now, just quoting from a global lead analyst at PricewaterhouseCoopers, AutoFacts, his name's Chris Sturmer, he said the only companies that can survive in the long term are either those that prevail as a clear innovation leader on the product side or those that recognise that mobility is no longer a product but rather a service. So BMW and Daimler are aiming to build a joint business that includes car sharing, ride hailing, electric vehicle charging and digital parking services, consolidating their strong footprint in Europe. And the goal is to develop the required expertise and resources so that Daimler is a leader in the future business of self-driving cars. Mm. So those two big German car makers getting into the self-driving car business with that investment. Well, following on from the self-driving vehicles, new regulations will take effect on April 2nd this year, it's 2018. Mm. And uh, that's to allow uh, autonomous vehicles to go around uh, the city without a driver. So it will become fully autonomous. This is actually paving the way for the likes of Waymo and Uber and GM to continue autonomous vehicle testing. That's throughout the golden state. So basically... They're just saying, yep, you can, you've can. you been testing it and they have been since I think it was 2014. Uh, that did at the, you know, has previously required somebody to be in the driver's seat and to at least be able to take over should the need be required. Uh, but the history is showing that they are very safe. The technology is certainly improving. And now this is uh, allowing for driverless vehicles to get around. They will be managed remotely. So should there need to be a driver that needs to intercept or take over this vehicle, there will be a button that someone can say, look, you know, take over controls if they're within the vehicle Mm. Uh, but there will also be a remote person that can log in and actually take over the vehicle from say a a remote location Mm. there's obviously some opposition to this people concerned about what happens in the event of an accident it is likely that there will be an accident even though they're shown to be much safer there's still going to be the high chance of an accident Mm. Uh, so there's there's still some concern about that so far it has been very safe so far the technology has improved so the more cars available to do this hopefully there is a collective growth of understanding and technology shared expertise so they actually make this uh, bigger and better and, and, and they are tesla uh, autopilot system is getting smarter and smarter because it, it takes data from from users experience on the road using the system feeds it back in so it's always learning they even use games like grand theft auto and stuff which yeah. you know to actually teach ai enabled systems uh, about driving 
driving conditions because those games are actually uh, well, designed for accidents. Well, kind of but thing. well, they're designed with real roads. They're yes. often modelled on real road situations. Yes, draw from the real world as well. But also, you've got this. You can just run a loop, plug Grand Theft Auto into uh, your system, which is has the capability of learning. It can benefit from that as well. Yeah, of course. So we've been keeping an eye on this anyway for some time. But this is that next big jump, that next big step for mm. autonomous vehicles throughout Getting the world. Getting the driver out exactly. So mm. as we see this, it might take another five years of uh, you know the testing and making sure that the safety aspects are you know still there. And uh, if that is proven successful, I can start to see other particularly states within the US, uh, but then even other countries then adopting this technology and allowing it on the roads. And this is the model really which we're heading for where, you know, if you want to hail a taxi or an Uber, that kind of thing, it may well be without a driver and you jump in the back and you get taken places that there doesn't need to be any human contact, which is not necessarily great for employment of, of Uber drivers or taxi drivers, but I think that Uber, the business, has always seen having a driver as a kind of an interim stage mm-hmm. before they actually get yeah. to the point where there's no driver and Uber is investing in driverless vehicles as well. Now, moving on, uh, the Australian government are considering a bill which might make it illegal for internet service providers to falsely advertise high uh, internet speeds. So with the NBN that is available to many Australians now, there's still obviously a rollout that's happening over the next uh, few years. There are multiple sort of tiered packages that uh, ISPs will offer. And uh, the basic one, I think, is around about 25 megabits per second. If you wanted to go to the maximum, you'd be looking at around 100 megabits per second. What is happening? in some scenarios is a provider, an ISP might be offering you that top tier package. However, what you can actually get, what you can actually download is nowhere near that package. There have been many complaints. There's uh, lots of comments online saying that there were dropouts um, multiple times a day or they're not getting anywhere close to the speeds that they're paying for. Mm. Uh, It could be that they're getting up to five megabits per second, not the 25 or 100. The bill that Andrew Wilkie has put forward is to basically say, well, you can't do that and if you falsely advertise then you will be fined and potentially even banned from providing uh, the service. I think this is a good step because we should be seeing more about what the average speed is that can be provided uh, rather than what the top speed is because it's going to be if you ever do reach that top speed it might be one minute of one day once in a year for Mm. example Mm. so just because you hit that speed once Mm. doesn't mean anything Mm. it should be what is your average speed because things are like uh, congestion uh, late in the afternoon, uh, weekends, for example, when more people at home are using the internet, that will all affect the speed. So if the packages become um, you know, more regulated, for example, or at least more fines around that uh, mm. to make sure that it's, it's policed better, uh, I think that will actually be much better for consumers to, to know what they're getting. And I think we've even talked about that there were people who've gone on contracts with um, Optus Telstra with some of the big NBN carriers and they've found that they haven't had anything like the sort of uh, mm-hmm. experience that they were told they would get and they've actually been able to get out of their contracts because yeah, of that. Refunds so, out of the contract, so, so. so this is going that next step which is to say okay don't lure people in on false premises mm-hmm. to start with be realistic tell them the average speed which they're going or in all probability to experience rather than uh, you know pie in the sky stuff they might get once a year if they're lucky. It will be difficult for the ISPs because it can change you know on your street you might have a variance uh, so suburb to suburb is going to be huge variances. We'll 
probably come down to having a, a line speed that's performed bef- by the ISP before you sign up. Mm. And from that assessment, they can go, okay, we believe based on this, they can put it against a graph, for example, your average speed will be this. We'll keep an eye on this story. Unfortunately, it doesn't. Um, we're not sure where the NBN is going to lead. We know of projects that are happening you know, in South Australia, for example, should the, the, the Labor government get back in. Mm. We just don't know what that next step will be for the NBN because at this stage, we can't see an average speed of being anywhere close to the 100 megabits per second, which would be at least keeping up with the world at the moment we're, we're far And that's, yeah. well, that requires you to have a dedicated fibre into the home exactly. or premises, business premises, and that can be several thousand dollars to get that put in. Now, uh, we have reported previously about a small decline with Facebook use. And mm-hmm. so this is, uh, particularly in the US, the amount of users per month had declined back in 2017. So by the, the end of 2017, there was a quarter over quarter decline. Look, it was only small. It was around 700,000 users. And we're talking, you know, quite a, quite a big uh, population in America. There's a certain cutoff age, isn't there? Are you, are you allowed to get on as a, as a seven-year-old, as an eight-year-old on I, Facebook? I, I think they're looking at at the uh, maybe the segments then so from say an 18 through to 35 and so it is suggesting that just based on the sort of the cap that they've hit uh, they have reached peak and this does spark a few questions and, and potential problems because if there's now a decline on users because they're exiting the service to go to say the likes of Instagram or Snapchat or Twitter or, or another service, or they're just giving up completely, then what happens uh, for the shareholders of uh, Facebook? Because with fewer users, you then need to maybe show more advertisements to people. There, there potentially is a change of structure in terms of what will happen next. Anything can happen. It could be that you know Facebook does change again and then there is some growth. What these stats are showing is at this stage is that like has reached maximum penetration throughout the United States. I think globally there's still some adoption happening, but just particularly in the United States, that's what we're seeing. Yeah, yeah. the particular report that you're referring to on Recode.net is actually referring to the adult population. So I think beyond the age of 18, it's more than two-thirds of Americans, I think specifically 68% use the service according to the Pew Research Centre. Yeah, We have a little bit of a feature later, but just I wanted to sort of note uh, that we have talked about the Mobile World Congress, which was held recently. We had uh, previously reported on some of the favourite products mm. from the, the show. Mm. But I just wanted to highlight maybe some of the negatives from that, and in particularly the iPhone X-Notch copycats. So listeners that are familiar with the r- most recent premium iPhone X, which is their, their 10-year anniversary model, mm-hmm. it has a notch at the top of the screen. Mm-hmm. So the screen goes, it covers the full body except for that top section, mm-hmm. which houses the forward-facing camera and some other sensors in which there. Are, which are required for face ID. So you unlock, you don't use a fingerprint scanner, you, yeah. l- you glance at the phone, it identifies your face and it unlocks. Now, me personally, I've never been a fan of that. As soon as I saw it, I thought, no, that's that's terrible. Mm. And I thought, so, sort of thought, well, Android phones will never do that. Unfortunately, what we've seen at the Mobile World Congress there. is there are a number of phones that have decided to go uh, down that path. And the only way you can get a camera at this stage that looks forward is to have some kind of break in the screen. So the vision of having the, the front face completely glass, completely screen, which is almost what it is, mm-hmm. is kind of disturbed by the fact that you've got to have that forward-facing camera for Face ID and you can't build it into the screen. No one's come up with a way of doing 
doing that. So that gives you the necessity of having a notch. It's been all about going bezel-less. Oh, look, I'm all for having a bigger screen size, but I do kind of like the bezels on uh, my phone, my new phone, which we'll talk about later in the show. Mm. And there are reasons for that. I don't see a good enough reason for this notch. And so, for example, the Zenfone 5 has... So we're not talking necessarily the premium models. The Zenfone 5 that has got this notch, they sort of made fun of Apple by saying it, that their notch is smaller, but they've still got the notch on the display. Yep. There was a new um, LG phone which has uh, adopted the notch as well. So this is the LG G7 series. So th- there are a few. It's not my favourite. I actually think it's a bit of a turn-off in terms of display. Just because you're going for that larger screen size doesn't mean you need that little notch in there. Mm. Uh, my preference would be the bezels. Interesting to hear what you know listeners think of that and what their thoughts are. But I thought Android, particularly the manufacturers, alternate manufacturers, would have been a bit more... They would avoid this little notch and go in a different path. Certainly yeah. been a controversial aspect of that design. It does come back to the, the fact that if you want to do away with the home button and you want to have edge-to-edge screen, that OLED bright screen that, that well, the latest iPhone, the top-of-the-line iPhone X is, is sporting as well as the latest Samsungs. That's just one of the ways that you achieve that. Maybe there are other ways of doing the same thing. I'm not sure. Thanks for listening. And head to beyondinfinity.com.au for the best bits from the live show or to connect with us on social media. We welcome your feedback and suggestion for future shows.